welcome to Upbringing, where Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers us all to engage bravely with the hardest aspects of parenting, to create positive change in ourselves, our families, and the world. Join us to build intention, elevate skills, and align our parenting practices with our greatest ideals. When we practice trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection, we're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. Today's episode is brought to you by Bar 3, a full-body, balanced workout combining strength conditioning, cardio, and mindfulness. Get your first 15 days free when you join Bar 3 online. Click on the link in our show notes or on our website partners page to be granted access to hundreds of workouts that'll balance your body, build strength, and help you discover empowerment from within. Now onto our conversation. Today on the podcast, we speak with Sadie Lincoln, co-founder and CEO of Bar 3, a fitness company focused on teaching people to be balanced in body and empowered from within. Starting in 2008 with the flagship studio here in Portland, Oregon, Bar 3 has grown to include more than 140 studios powered by female entrepreneurs, plus an online workout subscriber base in over 100 countries. What started as a workout has blossomed into a full-blown movement made up of millions of people focused on body positivity, empowerment, and redefining what success in fitness means. Sadie is on Inc.'s Female Founder 100 list, has been featured on NPR's How I Built This, and speaks regularly on topics like mindful leadership and the power of body wisdom. We loved connecting with Sadie about her communal upbringing, the power of word choice, how we can inspire our kids to honor their personal truths, what's even better than getting results, and insights on how Sadie's children, aged 13 and 15, have been catalysts for profound personal growth. Okay, here we go. I think where we fall short and where we get disappointed, low self-esteem, and we disassociate with our bodies and with fitness is when we measure our worth based on getting to the end game, getting to the result, you know, the before picture and the after picture, getting to the after. Um, And in sport too, it's like getting the gold medal. If that's all you're trying to do, once you get that gold medal, are you really going to be more worthy? Are you really going to have ultimate happiness for the rest of your life? Probably not, right? Um, It's more about the journey towards it in the moment. And that's something we've said more confidently than ever this year is that bar three is not about getting to a result. In fact, when we did our January challenge, which is a typical time, as you guys know, for New Year's Mm -hmm. resolutions where people make specific goals to achieve and change their bodies. And we came out with a bold statement that our challenge is to not get results. Um, the only thing we're going to work on and that we worked on in January January was to be at home and at peace in our bodies just as they are in this very moment. That so in we, itself we, is a challenge enough. Yeah, It is. That's the challenge. That's the practice. As you're talking about this idea of being in a class and also leading a class, I can't help but see the parallels with parenting where <clears throat> I think we naturally – based on our culture, based on our upbringings, we fall into these ideas and these tropes of like what um, what it should be like going into a uh, fitness class or what it should be like going into a home as a parent or what it should be like running a business. I think it's easy for us to be like, well, this is how it should be. I'm in, I'm in power. I'm in control. 
um, and I need to act or behave a certain way. And I think something that resonates so much with me with bar three is that it, it is not like that. It's not a hierarchy. I, I never say this right, Cal. Hierarchical, hierarchical structure right. <laughs> of it's it's this this feeling of community and that sense where you know we read a lot about uh, psychological research of saying creating a safe psychological space is where people can grow, where families can grow, where women exercising together can grow, where employees in a business can grow. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a really neat line to draw that parallel with children specifically. And I think what I notice with myself, first of all, having children is the, for me, has been the catalyst for tremendous spiritual growth. And just realizing that my children are not me. They came through me, but they are not me. And to honor their individual truths and to teach them to honor their own truth. And that's exactly what we do at bar three too. It's like, yes, the instructor will guide the experience. Just like as a mother, I'm going to guide their experience. I'm going to create a safe space and I'm going to provide structure and boundaries. Um, And that's what we do in class. But within that, you are fully allowed to be yourself and to own your own body, your own voice, your own ideas. Um, And I do that way better at bar three than I do in my own home. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's so easy to imprint and want to like project my own values on my children. And with and it's all the unconscious things, the things I don't even know I'm doing and I realize I'm doing. Um that I for me that's been kind of the, the hardest part about parenting. How do you realize you're doing it? Is it because your kids kind of resist or is it because you kind of make a connection from work to home? I think, well, recently, my kids are a little older now. I have a 13-year-old son and a 15-year-old daughter. And they are in that stage where they're becoming more expressive. So they're able to tell me things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one of the, my daughter, for example, recently said that she made a decision to do something because she made it because she, she wanted to impress me versus it being the right choice for herself. And it was a significant decision in her life. Mm -hmm. And she has regret and anger because of that. And, and I looked back and I said, well, I didn't, you know, I really said, you can choose you, you make your own choice. She said, yeah, you said that, but then you would make all these hints. And the way you showed up was clear to me that where I was going to succeed in your eyes was to make that one call, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's just, it's moments like that where I reflect back and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, okay. I, you know, it's just important to be aware of that, that these kids, you know, I always talk about the problem of trying to measure up and having external measures of success as our worth. And then I find myself like saying, oh, I, you know, you guys can do better than a B. You, you're smart, you know, or I'll say things like that. I'm like, oh my God, what am I? Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. not really what I care about. You know, I care about if they have a love of learning and if they um, enjoyed the experience versus making the grade. Um, yeah. yeah. But I think I, I just feel like that's what must be so easy to do. And Kelty and I talk about so much just how much power we have as parents that we don't even realize how much 
we influence our kids unknowingly where you're like, well, I believe that they know this about it. And I talk about this other thing, but just saying this one thing or not saying that one thing or can cause them to feel and make such big decisions. That's just a huge thing. And I love that your daughter was so brave to say, I'm not feeling good about this. I've got some baggage about this. And you were able to talk it out. That's amazing. So brave. So brave. And you know, at her age, we can't really talk it out though. It's like two sentences mm-hmm. and then she's done. Mm-hmm. Oh my <laughs> That's gosh. One thing I've learned is, as, and I guess I was like that too at their age, but a really deep conversation needs to be like 10 words or less. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise it turns into a lecture and they turn. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. But whenever there's a little opening like that in an honest moment, I validate it. Like, thank you. You know, I just say thank you so much for sharing so honestly. That's amazing. We've, we've read some articles, um, some amazing articles that you've written and um, been quoted in about the power of vulnerability. And it makes me think of, of how you are with your daughter saying, I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what does vulnerability mean to you in, in your business at home? Um, leading with courage and really with the heart, um, openly with the heart. And that's vulnerable because it's putting it out there. It's like Brene Brown talks about that and being, being in the arena is vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And for me as a public figure, I've put myself, I've decided to be in the arena. I've decided to be public and, my, I will only do that authentically and with empathy. And, and I think that I could, it just doesn't even work for me not to be vulnerable because for me, vulnerability equals authenticity and being totally true about my feelings in the moment. Um, and being able to show people when I fall and when I fail Vulnerability leads to innovation. It leads to diverse perspectives. It leads to it leads to trust. How do you lead a teenager? How do you inspire a teenager? It, do your kids need information first to, for buy in, and then they kind of move, or do they need to be inspired by connection with you in order to agree to something or you know cooperate or whatever it is? I mean, our kids are two, three, four, and five, so we're thinking about teenagers and being like, oh my gosh, like how. <laughs> Um, I don't really know the answer. I wish I did. I do. What I do know is that it's more important how I show up every day in the in-between moments. That is way more important than getting the words right before talking about sex or Mm -hmm. the big things, right? Mm -hmm. It's how I, I show up, um, is, is the most important thing. I will say that in terms of like, safety because that's always my big thing is safety <laughs> and I found that third party parenting works really well or, or third party kind of experts talking to them or mm-hmm. them seeing a show or reading something versus me saying it because when I say it they're like Ugh, mom of course you're gonna be overprotective um, one example we were just in Joshua Tree as a family. And we had this amazing guide from Stone Adventures and his name's Yolan. I cannot recommend him enough. He took us all rock climbing and I asked him about the movie Free Solo. Have you heard of that? 
mm-hmm. movie um, with the guy who go climbs um, Yosemite without any ropes, without anything, all on it. I, I barely made it through the trailer to that. Okay. Well, <laughs> I watched it and my son wanders in and watches half of it with me. And he's already like an aspiring boulderer. Is that a word? Um, and he got really fired up. And that, of course, freaks me out. And so we're out. I had, But I knew not to like say anything because he won't hear it from me. And when we were rock climbing, I just asked Yolan in front of him. I said, hey, what do you think about that free solo movie? And then he just went into this lovely <laughs> evidence-based talk with all the all of four of us about all the people he's known that has have died <laughs> and why it's important to be safe. Um, and here's this like strapping young man with like hair down to his waist, like, mm-hmm. you know, telling my son like this cool stuff about safety, like that work, that, that, <laughs> I was like, I think, Bless him. Him. you know, he's not going to hear me, but he heard him. I think that's just such a good point though, that we don't have to have the responsibility to teach our kids everything. Like you said before, we can, we can support and create the environment where they can learn. And that can be from us. That can be from the general world. That can be from other um, close figures in their lives, you know? Yeah. Everybody's a teacher. Yeah. Kelty and I talk a lot about chosen family on our podcast and how, you know, it doesn't necessarily just exist for all of us. We have to create it. And we've had a lot of conversations with friends about our dream and our need to, you know, surround ourselves with our nearest and dearest to support one another and actually build our lives together. And we're trying to do that on the farm in a very small way, mm-hmm. um, which makes your upbringing story even more inspiring to us mm-hmm. um, as I far as have, like intentional families. I think that's so neat that you guys are doing that and that, well, yeah. So my, my upbringing, my mom and her dear friends to this day met in the sixties and their twenties. And, um, they all ended up having children. The dads basically split and they raised us kids together in kind of a collaborative environment. We weren't in a commune and it wasn't communal, but we were always together as a family in various ways. Um, we moved a lot. We rented homes in the summer, a couple summers we lived in a house without walls. They called it. It was like this, um, it was in Taos, New Mexico and they found this house that was being built, but, um, vacant. And so we, we basically lived in it. It didn't have any walls. Wow. (laughs) Um, they were very gypsy like back then. Um, we all ended up moving to Eugene, Oregon, and that's where we were raised. And to this day, we're the kids, quote unquote, are now in our 40s and 50s, and we are all still siblings. And the moms are considered like my aunties. And now we all have kids. And so our tribe has expanded. And it's it was really, really a, an amazing and, you know, I don't know, remarkable way to be, to be, to be raised. I didn't realize it at the time because it was my normal, but now looking back, just so much of who I am is because I had those third party parents. I had four women who loved me unconditionally besides my mother, um, who I could turn to and who saw different sides of me. And because I wasn't their blood, um, I think I, I trusted kind of their opinion even more in a way it meant more. And so, yeah, I think it's lovely that you guys are 
seem to be going down kind of that, that path a little bit. Yeah. I, I just love the idea that there are multiple models that our kids can hold themselves up to, to kind of find their place and their self, you know, more opportunities for some context and diversity and self-exploration when you're, it's not just my mother and me. And those are the two kind of molds that are kind of growing. I know I'm, I'm always kind of baffled and I think it's because of the way I was raised, but how kind of possessive parents mm-hmm. can be of their children, like my child, you know, mm-hmm. but is it, is, I don't think Audrey and Drew are mine. Like they are the, they are just part of this world now. They're not mine anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that kind of letting go and creating a really safe village um, is so good for our kids because they they have more trust than just just their parents. No, I think that I I didn't feel like growing up I was missing anything because I was so loved and I had so much support. And I would say when I got to know my dad when I was 18, I moved to LA and I got to know him. I was oddly emotional around him. And as soon as I'd see him, I just burst into tears. It was embarrassing. Like I didn't know where it came from, but I do think deep down, like I needed a dad, you know, I do think girls specifically, like I longed for a father and I just didn't have the words or to know to say it because my mom never told me there was anything wrong. And to her credit, she didn't have any baggage around him and she never put negativity around the fact that he wasn't in the picture. So I was able to create a relationship with him on my own terms without resentment, which is such a gift. Um, But I think that I chose Chris and Chris, we chose each other because I knew he was going to be a beautiful father. And it has truly been one of the most amazing gifts of my life to see my children have a father and such a nurturing, devoted, loving, generous father. Um, you know, it's been delightful for me. And so I, I think I, it, it wasn't a challenge at all. It's actually exactly what I wanted and needed. How are you parenting similarly and differently from how you grew up? Uh, just core values are similar. Um, just really always being in my kid's corner, the power of teaching them the power of inner work and looking inside for answers, um, our love of nature, our love of community, um, being able to fail. You know, we, it's a practice, but that is still part of our core values. Uh, I would say way, I mean, we're a nuclear family, way more structure. My kid's go to Catholic school, which we're not Catholic, but I really loved the f- energy and feeling of the schools that they're going to. Audrey now goes to an all girls school called St. Mary's, which is super amazing and empowering for, for young women. That's really different than how I was raised. My mom honestly was freaked out when I told her I was in <laughs> Catholic school because it's so, she just has so many worries about, yeah. um, that kind of structure, but, uh, it served our kids really well and it served us really well. Uh, and the, and I have built a community around our kids. We have kind of a crew of friends. When I grew up, we used to sit in circle 
as a family and part of circles everybody's seen and heard and it's a real time of connection and meaningful conversation and i've held circle with our friends and their kids and they all love it so i've pulled you know some things for sure from my upbringing into into my my modern day way of parenting what do you talk about in circle well really anything the most important thing of circle is that it's guided and intentional. And there's lots of ways to hold circle. My favorite way is Quaker style where you can, you start with a question or a conversation that everyone has had time to think about. And then each person around the circle answers the question or the thought in their own voice without interruption or reaction. So every, everybody gets to speak and, and then as everyone's speaking, everybody else is actively listening. And when you actively listen without a reaction, when, when you are given permission not to react to whatever the person's saying, it, it allows you to be a more active listener. So it's lovely because everybody just feels so seen and heard. And then at the end, when you complete the circle, then you talk about, then you react. Oh, I thought it was really interesting, you know. Uh, Sarah, what you said about summer solstice and how you were raised, da, 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 da. tell me more about that. You know, then you can, you can kind of go into a deeper conversation. What What's interesting about circle that I've noticed, and we've done it different ways. We've also done it where we draw a card and whatever the card says is sort of like something to talk about. Um, or, a, or a crystal, grab a crystal and tell me, Tell us what this crystal means to you. I do that with kids. Uh, and, and what's interesting is that um, people often get emotional. Even if it's a non-emotional topic, it's not even a deep conversation or question. Just being in circle cracks people open, um, which I, I always think is really sweet in a way to enrich a relationship. I find that happens with our children as well when <clears throat> some the kind of the chaos sort of settles is often when I feel like, you know, that switch flips and they feel safe enough to just like let it all out. That's when big feelings often happen in our family. Mm-hmm. Notice that as well. Or worries yeah. or fears or little things that have bothered them or. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, that, that intentionality of, of sitting in a circle and looking at each other eye to eye and really practicing active listening and just holding space for another person. I tell, think that's so sweet. T- tell her about the Hakomi active listening thing you did the other day. Oh man, I, I did a, a Hakomi meta training, which is like mindfulness experiential um, therapy type approach. Um, I feel like you would love it, mm-hmm. uh, but it was like just an introductory kind of weekend course. I'm thinking about doing the, like the longer training, but we had to sit in front of another person and just one of the exercises, you know, we didn't know any of the people in the class and we were d- with different partners every time. But one of the the um, experiential things we did was we sat in front of another person and we just had to like fiercely send fierce like love at them, just love them intensely, mm-hmm. um, just without saying anything, without necessarily doing anything, just through our, just our presence like basically exude a loving presence to this person. And then the other person had to receive it. And it was amazing how it was so hard for me to receive the loving presence from another person. And it was so much easier to give it. I'm honestly just like cringing. Like it's, it's wonderfully awkward, but it sounds so awkward. 
Yeah, it, it seemed really <laughs> awkward, but it was it I, the, the the thing. I would come home at the end of the day and tell Kelty, and she would just laugh. She was just like, "That is ridiculous. You did not just do that. You did not stand in front of a partner with your eyes closed and just let your hands touch and let your hands do things like right. move around in space for like ten minutes with this person." Um, just really kind of awkward things like that, where the realizations you have about yourself, when you're put in a situation where no one is ever staring at me with a loving presence in like for that long, <laughs> you know, someone I love, let alone a stranger. Um, yeah, that's so interesting. And also I think, was it your experience that just that discomfort is, is like where you grow? That's where you start to understand just a deeper feeling and understanding of who you are and absolutely yeah. um, i mean our, our upbringing motto is the hard stuff's the good stuff yeah and so you know i think parenting has provided us the opportunity to to really come up with against a lot of challenges in ourselves and interpersonally with our kids and our partners and the big thing that kelty and i want to be promoting what we love talking about with people is that these you know, challenges aren't obstacles to the good things. They're not set aside from those things. They are the way to those things. If we can actually lean into them and pay attention to them and attend to them, Don't you, you know, support them. Most parents protect from the hard stuff. Their Absolutely. Kids from the hard yeah. stuff. I think it's a common instinct and mm -hmm. a natural instinct. And often for us, at least it's because we haven't had enough practice getting to the other side mm -hmm. and it becomes this kind of wonderful snowballing momentum of being scared shitless of something, being repulsed by something, being terrified and just keeping moving forward and keeping engaging with it and keeping talking about it and getting in there. And then seeing that growth is what mm -hmm. is the payoff, seeing that connection, seeing those puzzle pieces reorganize and change. That's the practice. Before our eyes. That's the practice and it's a constant practice. Why are we so scared of letting our kids experience the hard stuff though? Well, because we ourselves can't experience the hard stuff without some inner resistance. You know, I think yeah. our culture, our, our own upbringings were, you know, happy is good. Sad is bad. Mm -hmm. Laughing is like, good. Yelling is bad. Happy is success. Right. Laughing is crying is failure. Feeling bad is failure. Yeah. Yeah. And so how are we supposed to be, you know, supporting our kids through all of these things? Now all this research is finally coming out saying, actually, all emotions are really healthy to express because otherwise we repress them and our bodies take those on or they come out in really, you know, unnatural and healthy ways. Uh, so we have, I think a lot of parents are kind of getting hip to that. They're reading the research, they're reading the books. Um, but then it's going against our own instincts and how we were raised. What's like our inner model of working, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know, I know that it's a disservice to protect children from the hard stuff. And then it, it does, it's like, it breaks my heart, you know, at the same time um, to let my kids fully experience hard Oh man. And, and your kids have experienced, I mean, our kids are in the, you know, where they have very irrational, um, challenges at times and they where experience we're hard, like a hundred times a day, right. <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're easy to be, you know, it's easy for us to be like, it was just a spoon. I don't have to get upset about this. It's yeah. not actually bothering me. So I can really attend and support their emotions. But i imagine with your kids being older, when they really go through things at school where you're like, Oh my God, like 
that would really upset me too. <laughs> how do you separate yourself from your kid? How, how does that happen? I have, I mean, I think I, one thing that I feel like I learned from growing up is that I, is intuitive for me is with around the thing around bullying, for example, um, both my kids at different times have had kind of bullied, been bullied or had a, a kid be pretty, pretty mean to them. And I always, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I, I didn't, well, I definitely didn't take the side of my kid and I didn't get involved. Um, and I also looked at the bully, the person who was bullying with um, empathy and love because mm -hmm. you know that most kids who act out like that, there's something going on. There's mm -hmm. something sad going on that none of us know about. And I think in our culture, we've really labeled kids as bad if they're a bully. And I, that that's always bothered me. Yeah. Um, that's just perpetuating. Yeah. And it's know. protecting the, the child instead of having my son work through it with this person or, you know, go to the teacher himself and talk about it or seek out help if he needs it. I mean, those are really important skills to have versus me marching into the school and demanding a meeting with the parent. And, you know, um, a lot of that behavior I've witnessed over the years, and it always kind of freaks me out when I see mm -hmm. that, that level of involvement and kind of, it's like almost like the parent takes on the role of the bully. Mm, in that. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, but I mean, but the skills that you're trying to instill, practice yourself and instill in your kids is what Kelty and I call playing in the gray, where it's not that black or white. It's not good or bad. Um, it's not right or wrong. Everybody, we're all existing in this gray area, but we don't necessarily have the skills to, to, to thrive there. My mom used to, um, well, and my aunties, we talked a lot about, I mean, this is high level. So when we were little, they didn't use these words, but everybody has a shadow, a dark side. Mm -hmm. We have a light side and a dark side and to honor both and to love both. And, um, when I was, my maiden name is Ungamok, which is a ridiculous last name. And it was my mother. That's amazing. Oh, my um, but my mom, when I was little, I had an alter ego called monster Ungamok. <laughs> And it was completely celebrated in our household. Like Monster Ungamok was really bad and yet loved, you know. Yeah. So I, I love that because then you can you can if you're celebrating your own shadow, then you can respect it in other people and know that that's not all them all the time. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, you befriended your shadow, you know, in some ways. Like they're not our shadows aren't going away. We we have to pay attention to them. We have to you know, honor them in some way as being still part of us. And when, Otherwise the half of us is gone. And when we don't honor them, then we fall into the, as adults, we fall into the perfection trap where we're mm -hmm. measuring our worth based on perfection and being that like ideal of success. And that is my life's work. That is what bothers me the most about the fitness industry is that it's sold mm -hmm. based on that, that ideal. When, you know, we all have bad days. We all have, you know, where lazy is not bad, not exercising is okay, you know? Right. Um, well, that's something we love about bar three is that idea of um, adapting posture instead of modifying this whole idea that like, we don't have to, we're not, 
working out or parenting or leading people to to attain some idea of perfection or to um, attain some external standard of achievement. We're, we're adapting and changing from within, if that makes sense. Oh, completely. And it's so beautiful. That's the thing I, I am the most proud about here at Bar 3. We're 10 years in now, is how we've really re... We re we have rebranded modifications um, to be something really positive. So in class, when you choose to do a different exercise or modify a move that's different than what the instructor is doing, it's not that you're doing less than. It's that you are in that moment, you are metaphorically and, and truly standing up for yourself. Um, and I think so many people have shame around modifications because you usually modify when you have an injury or you're working through pain in your body. And there's so much shame around pain in our body for some reason. Um, you know, injury, aging. Um, yeah, I used to do burpees. You know, I used to do full pushups. I used to, we get so attached to what we used to do or that mm-hmm. if I can't do that, I'm not good enough. I'm not a real athlete. I'm not really that fit. And we have let all that go. If you modify a burpee and get up at the ballet bar and do pushups at the bar, the instructor will usually note it as, Hey, amazing, amazing modification. Um, and then point out all the benefits of that version of the posture. Um, and now in, in bar three classes, when you go and you, you'll see a lot of the clients um, who have been there for a while, they know to modify auto- automatically. They don't even have to be cued into it. So I was just teaching on Tuesday and um, I was doing all fours. And I think four different people popped up at the bar immediately as soon as I got down to all fours because they knew that they it was hard on their knees to be on the ground. Um, and just that moment is to me so beautiful. Amazing. It's so amazing. Well, and that's, you're, you're not just being vulnerable yourself, but you're, you're allowing and providing the space for other people to be vulnerable and to say that the only way we can change is if we're vulnerable. The only way we can grow is if we're vulnerable, you know? Yeah. There is a vulnerability to modifying and, and to yeah. out and doing it's beautiful. It is. And, and I think that's the other thing that's so special is those clients know that they're teaching everybody else to honor their truth. Um, how we show up and how we act and move um, with purpose is how we inspire and educate other people. And um, yeah, it's pretty cool. But how do we but we bring it we always bring it back to parenting. How do we adapt with our kids instead of seek to modify them? <laughs> That's like the struggle we have with our kids' behavior and with figuring out that really sensitive role we have and not just adapting to our own lives and th- figuring out our own unique needs, but also honoring their authentic needs and but having to get in there as a parent and not want to over-control. Like, how do you f- find that that fine line between the difference between modifying and adapting with your kids, if that makes sense. I see modification and adaption the same um, because the word adapt, I like because it's about moving forward where a lot of times we think of modification, we've just labeled it as moving backwards, but really it's the same thing. You're taking a, a something like like an, um, a recipe, 
you just got a recipe online and um, they called for a teaspoon of cinnamon, but you put two teaspoons of cinnamon in instead. So you modified that recipe to make it your own and to make it um, serve your, your palate better. And that's really celebrated. Um, but when you change something in class, it's not celebrated. So that's kind of what we're trying to, we're trying to change is that culture of like, yeah, I modified the move today and I did it this way. And then other people catch on just like in the recipes, you see how everybody makes their recipe their own at the bottom, the footnotes and every, you know, you get inspired by everybody making it their own. And I think with parenting and with children, it's the same thing. It's honoring when they do something different. It's like, wow, you know, you know, instead of, no, 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 you're supposed to cut the paper this way and paste it over on this corner to make the bunny rabbit, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, that looks interesting. Tell me what that is, you know? And who knows? Maybe it's a hat that they put on the bunny rabbit that's brilliant that we didn't, you know, instead of it being an ear or what <laughs> do you know what I mean? Right. I think we just get so caught up in our own attachment to, or making cookies with my kids. I mean, I remember at your stage, like I wanted that to be a special experience. And I was so uptight because the kids just get so messy. They were so crazy. It was not a lovely moment at all. It was kind of like insane and not very fun. Um, but I'm sure that's because I was trying to be Martha Stewart and, and you know make it like that moment to remember. I definitely don't eat the cookies my kids make. No, no. <laughs> Um, something else I love about bar three, which I mean, it's like bring up something about bar three and it obviously integrates into your life. I feel like it's such a holistic, it has such a a value system that can so easily integrate into everything else we do. And so that's why it's such an amazing conversation starter, but that idea of body positivity. And, you know, as we said that, you know, following your inner authenticity, but how do you integrate that into your parenting with your kids, talking about bodies, talking about shapes, um, that type of thing? When you work in an industry that's usually really kind of conformist and basically the opposite of that. It's, I'm really proud of that as well because both kids have been raised with, they, the only fitness they know is body positivity fitness. They've never, and they were literally raised in our studios. We have childcare in our studios. And the first studio that we opened, my kids were, I think, two and a half and four. And we put a little baby gate in the lobby, and that's where childcare started. And they were, so they were, they grew up in that lobby. And we are very intentional about language at Bar Three, and I am in my home as well. Uh, You won't hear us ever at Bar Three say things like, Okay, let's do an extra plank because bikini season is around the corner, you know, or let's, you know, I want you to feel that muffin top burning or, you know, um, let's get skinny, teeny, tiny arms for tank top season. Uh, Instead, you'll hear us say things like tap into your inherent strength. How does that feel? You know, do you feel the dominant good burn in your body or do you feel pain? Discover the difference between those two. Um, as you're in power leg, um, instead of struggling through the pain, look at it with amazement and wonder that your body can get through this. You know, so we're very specific about language um, with the body. And I'm really happy that my kids have grown up in that and it shows up. That's how they speak as well. And 
interestingly, most of their friends are the same way. It's a really, it's been, it's been a good run so far, especially with my daughter being the age she is at 15. By the time I was her age, I was really body conscious. Um, and, and so were my friends and we were obsessive about it, about what we ate and looking the part. And, um, I remember like grabbing my belly and saying, I'm so fat and, you know, doing things like that. And I, I haven't seen my kids do that, which you know, I think is, is really important. And, and again, I think it's how we all, we show up in the in-between moments. I don't do that. I don't grab my belly anymore. Um, I love my body and I honor my body, even when it's not performing at its best. I love that. I feel like that's the legacy that you're leaving for your kids and for all of our kids as well, because when we're in those classes and we hear that over and over and we speak you know, those words and we think about our bodies in that way, then we come home and continue that language. Mm-hmm. We agree that that language is so powerful. I honestly and, think that language yeah. around like body ideals I would say just, and it's all the unconscious things we say. I honestly think it's a form of violence for women Mm -hmm. Um, because inherent in that message is we're broken. We are not enough. And we are already women. We are born into shaming ourselves because the world writes on us all these messages about who we are to be, to be worthy, to be beautiful, to be successful, to be needed, to be wanted. Um, There isn't equity in as a woman yet we're working, we're, we're getting there, but, um, so we need to do every word we use and every way we treat women and their bodies is sets women up for success. It can, or it can take us down. Um, I really, one of the things that I dream of, like maybe not in my generation or my kid's generation or my grandkid's generation, but I dream of a world where every woman in this world is at home and safe in her body, truly at home in her body and safe in her body, just as it is. I believe if every woman had that kind of power that we would advance as a civilization, we'd be stronger, healthier and happier. That was fun. That was really fun. Nice to be back in the saddle a little bit. Good kickstart to the season for sure. I think it was cool that she said that her children were a catalyst for profound personal growth. It's kind of our main deal. Yeah. That (laughs) whole idea that anything, starting families, being in a partnership, starting a new job or a business... Any challenge, anything, any new great thing should be promoting growth, not impeding growth. And I think that we think of that with, again, in our careers and other ways that like, oh, this is a great opportunity. I'm going to go for it. And it's just really hard to think about that in parenting sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like I think we're being like dragged down, not being lifted up by it. And it's so mindset. And I love that Sadie's mindset is um, just slanted more positively slanted more empowered and just more big picture yeah you know just instead of focusing on the minutia which is so easy to do getting sucked down the rabbit hole of all the specifics of Mm. positives negatives challenges successes just thinking about it being like it's just growth Mm. like Mm -hmm. i'm just growing we're all just growing um what else what else did you like about it i get really stuck on the whole measuring worth by Mm. not just by 
extrinsic factors like people's, you know, value or judgment of you, but also just by the the idea of a goal or an achievement. And I love how Sadie was talking about how measuring our worth by getting to that end goal or that achievement or that pose or our kids grade or whatever it is can really cause us to or them to disassociate with their bodies to disassociate with ourselves Mm -hmm. um and how what bar three is trying to do and what she's trying to do as a parent as well is to say fuck end goals you know our challenge is not to get results it's to get better in touch with ourselves you know, it's to get, it's to associate and connect with ourselves because that's what's real. And that's what is kind of the key to joy, fulfillment, to progress, to growth. It's yeah. not from the outside, it's from the inside, right? Yeah. But I, I like that that was their New Year's resolution was to mm. not get results. And I feel yeah. like we're, as parents, especially, we're so focused on getting the results. When can they tie their shoes? When can they walk? Mm. When can they say please or thank you? When can they get themselves dressed to whatever, like those results things. And it's a, it's such a good reminder that, that we're also always trying to work on to be like, let's be championing that journey and that process as much Mm -hmm. as the result and and valuing it. And not in that way of being like, fuck the system, fuck results. I can't compete with this, so I'm just going to pretend that's not happening. Mm-hmm. I think those of us who are type A, who are competitive, hearing something like, oh, our challenge isn't to get results, you're like, that's a fucking joke. Okay, you guys can go sit on the sidelines, and I'm going to go kick ass in this. Mm-hmm. And I think what I like about Sadie is that she's still working out. She's still running a business in a big time way. She's still raising she's, a family. She's pretty hardcore. She's still, she's still in the challenge. Not trying to get results doesn't mean you're not rising to the challenge. It means your focus is on something else that matters more to you. And that's what I really love about this is not saying I'm not going to be up for any challenges. I'm not going to be in the ring. It's saying I'm going to care about something and go towards something that's more valuable to me than that end result. And to me, that is the day to day. That's the connection we have. What else is it? Like- well, it's also not just about the end result, but it's 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 about saying it's not about an external validation, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that means doing it for yourself, like you kind of said a few minutes ago, and doing it for how good it feels or what it brings you in the moment or just about being present as opposed to what this person might say or what this award I might win or basically taking it back to the bar three and earlier workout mode, Mm -hmm. like conforming um, to achieve. But I think that I, I love that and it's true. And I think it's so easy for us to think, well, I'm in my mid-30s. I can believe and go to a, to an exercise class and be like, I'm going to wear what I want to wear. I'm going to do the poses and modifications that I'm going to do. I'm getting all empowered here. And then you go home and you say, oh, I don't think so, to your kid who's trying to basically do the same, mm-hmm. just not in cute <clears throat> exercise gear and like with food instead of like a bouncy ball or whatever you use. Like... I think that that's what the amazing thing is, is that all this work we're trying to do as adults to give ourselves that grace, to say, I deserve a voice. I deserve a space. I should think about what really matters to me, not what some class is doing or what some celebrity is doing or what my mom wanted me to do. But I'm going to honor my intrinsic motivation, my inner wisdom. Um, That is the exact same process our kids are going through right now, just 30 years earlier yeah but Hannah you know we can be promoting that but that takes us 
honoring that our kids know themselves better than we do mm-hmm. and honoring that their personal needs and their inner wisdom are, are important, are a value mm-hmm. so that they can be honing those, <clears throat> those skills and the, the, and that kind of inner voice instead yeah. of deeming that our wisdom about them is more true or more important to pay attention to. Yeah. But the, you know, this is the conflict of interest we deal with as parents where we're in charge, but do we know better? And that is a very distinct line that I think we come up against a lot where we're in charge. We have to decide what happens and when and where and what's safe and what's not and what's, you know, where are these values kind of falling? But when it comes to certain truths and inner wisdom about themselves, what what is that realm that our, our children should and do know better or where we need to just be very sensitive with how we nurture and how we guide those things? And I just, I really love thinking about all of this parenting stuff in um, a physiological, you know, uh, health-based, you know, exercise way. It just, it makes total mm-hmm. sense to me. I don't know if this is going to resonate with other people, but yeah, it's, thinking it about really our home is like a workout class yeah. in that way has been really interesting. Yeah, as the leader of the class or as the head of the business, like Sadie's so cool because she gets to be approaching it as a CEO, as a workout head person, as a parent, she gets all of these different contexts to be basically essentially practicing the same set of skills and getting the same opportunities for awareness and Mm -hmm. practice. And I think we all have those opportunities in all the realms that we exist in. Mm -hmm. So this was a real treat. And um, I just feel really grateful that we were able to chat with Sadie and hopefully everyone got a little something something from this yeah i'm excited to do the online uh exercise me too super necessary yeah so you can learn more about sadie at (laughs) www.bar3.com or on instagram at sadie lincoln yes and as always we would like to hear your thoughts on our conversation with sadie so please get in touch dm phone Mm -hmm. email through our website at upbringing.co Do you want to do our our validation thing? Sure. We've missed it. You guys are doing an amazing job Mm -hmm. and we're so proud of you. And we're right here with you, taking steps to better understand ourselves, our kids, and one another. So thanks for being here. We're all growing up together. Till next time. Now for the lullaby bye portion of our show, created in the hopes of inspiring us all to get creative and personalize our song singing experience with our kids. The best lullabies are the ones that get shit done for all of us involved, yes. something we all deserve to enjoy. And it takes breaking out of the lullaby culture and grabbing hold of our roots, our authentic music happy place. Yes, especially important for those of us who some reticence or shame around singing even to our kids yeah. so here's us letting it all hang out off key very vulnerably yeah. in the hopes of encouraging you to use your own voice and enjoy the process whenever wherever the opportunity may present itself okay so what do you have for me this weekend um I got give me old, a clue i got an a old favorite clue. okay it's from the 80s that's not very specific, but and yeah. I'm getting there. Okay. And it's it's actually a single that I just love and I don't even know the group hmm. that well. Okay. But it just 
makes me super happy and made me think of my relationship with my daughter and just gave me that kind of magical connection and I loved it and I've been singing it to her lately. Did this song replace any more traditional like kid lullaby song for you where you were just like fuck this one I'm I'm bringing in this other one. I was singing caballito like mm. horsey horsey mm-hmm. don't you stop but in Spanish and that was like when she was younger and then I was just being like we're getting real with some real emotions and shit <laughs> yeah. and a fan and like this song is probably for some lovers somewhere foreign. Okay, paint whatever. a picture. I'm trying to, I want to guess I, what it I is though. Know. It's just <clears throat> in my mind, whatever. You might have a whole different story in your mind, but it's called The Promise oh, and it's by When in Rome. And I picture you on a dance floor <laughs> in Big Sur at a wedding. I was oh, like totally. looking for you everywhere and then I turn yeah. around and it's on, it's like, and you were like in the middle just dancing all by yourself. Everyone was so trash. They didn't notice I was out there. Like the... I mother noticed bride, and it made my night. It, oh, thanks, Kel. Uh, the mother of the bride was like wearing slippers and like shuffling around. And it was just, it took me by storm. It was, I think it was the second time I'd heard the song. And I was just like, I just love this song. I don't know why. I don't think I know the lyrics though. So I'm really excited to hear. Okay. Well, here we're going to go for it. Okay. Just, just you go, girl. Just acapella. Okay. Yep. Okay. Here we okay. go. If you need a friend. Don't look to a stranger, you know in the end, I'll always be there. But when you're in doubt, and when you're in danger, take a look all around, and I'll be there. I'm sorry, but I'm just thinking of the right words to say. Yeah, I know they don't sound the way I planned them to be. But if you wait around a while, I'll make you fall for me. I promise you, I promise you, I will. When your day is through, and so is your temper, you know what to do. I'm gonna always be there. Sometimes if I shout, it's not what's intended. These words just come out with no cross to bear. I'm sorry, but I'm just thinking of the right words to say. I know they don't sound the way I plan them to be. And if I had to walk the world, I'd make you fall for me. I promise you, I promise you, I will. 